0: That grows, hair that goes to the to... The Outline, World Dispatch.
1: Tuesday, May 30th, 2017. I'm John Lago Marcino. Today on The Dispatch, William Turton on fishing.
2: They're actually doctoring some of the emails, adding in fake ones,
1: removing certain emails. Roland Bishop on astroturfing. Some of them are dead.
3: And Laura June on poison. In the form of animals, disease, and lots and lots of poisonous plants. Here's the dispatch.
1: The future. William Turton. Hey, what's up? Uh, So you wrote last week about some new um, fishing tactics that Russians are allegedly engaging in.
2: Right. So there's this cybersecurity research laboratory called Citizen Lab, and they analyzed um, some victims of Russian hacking. One of them was an American journalist and found that they're still kind of using their tried and true phishing methods to break into email accounts. Uh, But now when they release the emails, they're actually doctoring some of the emails, adding in fake ones, removing certain emails um, to advance their political goals. So
1: in practice, what does this look like?
2: So David Satter was this American journalist who had been critical of the Kremlin and Russia in general and wrote a lot about corruption. In twenty thirteen he was banned from the country and Russia cited visa reasons, but in reality it was because of his critical writing of the government. Um, of the Russian government. Right. And so he received an email on October seventh, twenty sixteen. Uh, and this email said, you know, someone has your password. You're, Someone's trying to hack you, you need to change your password, click on this link. And it looked like it was from Google. But in reality, it was sent by someone trying to steal his username and password. So he followed the link, entered his username and password, um, and his account was compromised. So pretty standard phishing. pretty standard phishing. But the twist here is that um, how the Russian government is modifying his emails and uh, changing what is released to make it look even worse
1: what are these fake emails
2: so um, they would edit the emails that he'd sent and documents within his emails to make it look like he was receiving funding from russian opposition party leaders basically trying to push the idea that you know he was a paid shill working to take down the russian government and wasn't actually you know a legitimate journalist
1: so how widespread is this method so in this specific
2: cyber campaign that Citizen Lab analyzed, 200 people were targeted in 39 different countries. That seems like a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> um, it's pretty far-reaching, too. You know, It included American journalists, but it also included high-ranking Ukrainian military officials, uh, British industry executives, uh, people who worked at anti-corruption research groups.
1: So the disinformation in the emails seems to be peppered throughout it like we're not talking about just just fake pieces of email right we're talking about actually going in and altering the contents of specific emails
2: so yeah citizen lab calls this tainted leaks or uh, fakes in a forest of facts you know it's you're a lot more likely to believe these emails if all the other emails look legitimate with some fake ones peppered in
1: so we've heard about tainted email leaks In the past in a different capacity, right?
2: Yeah. So the campaign of the new French president, Emmanuel Macron, did something really interesting in a way to prevent against cyber attack. Uh, What they did is they made fake inboxes, gave the login information of those fake inboxes to suspected phishing attempts. And then when hackers got in and grabbed those emails, they were tainted with fake emails planted by the Macron campaign. So then they could come out when these emails are published and say, look at all these fake emails, these aren't real, and kind of cast doubt on the whole hack in general.
1: Is there any end to this?
2: Um, it's a problem that a lot of really smart people have tried to fix, and uh, there's only been limited progress made on it. Two-factor authentication was a big deal in preventing phishing attacks because even if someone had your username and password, they would need an authentication code. But in cases like Alex Satter, the journalist in this in this Investigation. Uh, he didn't have two factor on, so there's nothing he could really
1: do. All right, William, thanks. Thanks for having me. The future. As part of the Federal Communication Commission's official notice of proposed rulemaking to redefine net neutrality protections, the FCC has opened up a public docket where folks can comment. Now, that docket has been flooded with hundreds of thousands of comments that appear to be fake. Writer Rollin Bishop had this story. Hey, Rollin.
0: Hey, John. So what exactly is happening here? The FCC opened up this public docket, which is essentially just a giant comment form going, hey, what is, what is your opinion uh, on us reversing these net neutrality positions that we had under the Obama administration? These these things are common enough that it's not shocking to see. What is happening now, however, is there's like two point five million comments that have been added uh, as of you know recording here, and it's been analyzed. And these comments, there's about four hundred thousand of them, a little more than that, something like four hundred thirty six thousand. Uh, comments b- are believed to have been made by a single bot itself. That's just been adding comments uh, opposing net neutrality.
1: So, so how do we know that uh, these are fake or that some of them are fake?
0: So that's an interesting thing. The there is a developer uh, by the name of Chris chalk He took a look at this and noticed, just you know, scrolling through that there were some weirdly worded um, comments on there. And he sort of dug into it a little further, trying to see if he could figure out, can I determine if this was an on-site comment, if someone came to this docket to then you know, add this comment? And can I determine which comments were added via API?
1: So the comments that were not added by directly going to that website and entering them there.
0: Right. So he determined that difference, right? He sorted that mm-hmm. out. And then he started getting a little more granular with, okay... What exactly are these comments that have been submitted via API? these comments that weren't submitted on the site itself? What are they saying? And it turns out, you know he he breaks it down. and there's about seven hundred thousand total comments that are anti net neutrality that are along the lines saying that, you know, we do want the free market. And he believes he's figured out, where around like 250,000 of those came from, which are two different calls to action, one by Free Our Internet and one by Taxpayers Protection Alliance. The big thing, though, however, is that the vast majority of these comments, of any API comments, were undisclosed. He couldn't figure out where they were coming from. How many is that? 436,000. Wow. Any guesses as to where they are coming from? The general consensus is that somebody is astroturfing uh, this public docket, by which I mean they are just bulk adding comments, you know, supporting Commissioner Ajit Pai's position.
1: What names are associated with these comments?
0: What it looks like, you know, there's been some reporting and various people have tracked down some of the folks that are said to have commented, you know, saying, no, we, we don't want Title II. Some of them are dead. Uh, some of them definitely you know, claim they know this is not me. I did not write that. And then it's theorized that some of these, possibly a, a good number of them, were taken from various data breaches where information was leaked to the public. And now someone's using that to then bot these comments, to then automatically add them.
1: So is there any resolution to either removing these astroturf comments or or at least making the FCC aware of them if they aren't already?
0: Absolutely. The Fight for the Future has this tool um, that allows you to sort through and see if your name and information has been used. There are several people that they discovered whose information had been used. So these people wrote a letter to the FCC. uh, It in part reads, while it may be convenient for you to ignore this, Given that it was done in an attempt to support your position, it cannot be the case that the FCC moves forward on such a major public debate without properly investigating this known attack. And it's up to the FCC at this point. Like, they could ignore this information. They could ignore these comments or they could not. So
1: when will we know if these comments are making any any difference?
0: So the next step uh, doesn't come until July 17th, and that's sort of when we'll have some idea.
1: All right. uh, Well, keep us informed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks, Roland. Yeah, no problem, John.
3: Culture. Back in March, a woman in her 50s died after consuming an herbal tea that she bought at a shop in San Francisco's Chinatown. The tea was found to contain aconite, a toxin found in a plant known as monkshood, and it caused the woman to have irregular heart rhythms. Monkshood is a poison and there's no known antidote. Another San Francisco man also became ill after drinking a different blend of tea from the same shop. He made a full recovery. But how could something natural, like a simple herbal tea, kill? Natural is a trend. We're told through slick marketing in food, baby gear and medical propaganda that natural is better.
2: That's how you cure cancer is to get your immune system back to where it can fight the cancer naturally. So we've already established you can't cure cancer with drugs, you have to cure cancer with something that gets your body back to where it should have been before you got the cancer.
3: Herbs are part of an ancient and sometimes unusual medical tradition. It's all way beyond what we normally think of as medicine. But nature is full of killers, in the form of animals, disease, and lots and lots of poisonous plants. Recently, some homeopathic teething tablets were under investigation for causing the deaths of eight babies. The FDA found elevated levels of belladonna are perfectly natural poison in the tablets. Highlands, the company responsible for the manufacture of the tablets, maintains that they're safe. But they've stopped distributing the tablets in the United States. And some mothers, dedicated to raising their children naturally, refused to believe that the tablets might be deadly. The natural birth movement would suggest that there are far more cesarean sections than necessary performed every year, and that women don't need medication to manage pain, as if being in pain were a noble state. But until the past 100 years, the leading cause of death for women under the age of 40 was childbirth, and it remains a very precarious medical situation in many parts of the world. Only through the triumphs of modern medicine have we come to see nature not as something to be fought back against and feared, but revered and sought after. The trendy movement to prefer the natural over the man-made, or man-bettered, is underpinned by a deep distrust of science. The most tragic results of this misguided distrust happen when children die because their parents deny them life-saving medical care. This was the case of the parents of Alex Redita, who died weighing just 37 pounds at the age of 15 from complications of diabetes. A married couple who used to live in Surrey are now facing terrible accusations in Calgary. The 15-year-old died last year allegedly from neglect and starvation related to type 1 diabetes. Alex's parents refused medical care because they, quote, didn't believe in doctors, and their son died after a decade of suffering. His parents were sentenced to life in prison. The major and obvious concern for consumers is that a lot of herbal supplements are poorly regulated, despite being sold in mainstream big-box stores and pharmacies. Those teething tablets were sold at Target, Walmart, CVS, and other stores, which also sell plenty of herbal supplements. Drugs, like Tylenol, of course, have their risks, but they're specially labeled and tested heavily for quality. Recalls happen, but they're rare. And the FDA is powerless in many situations under the law. It doesn't issue recalls, nor does it do any testing of its own. But actual medications are required under law to have lists of ingredients sent to the FDA for review and must be approved for sale over-the-counter or by prescription. Supplements, herbs, and homeopathic remedies are much less regulated, and consumers are finding, more and more, that they are the testing process by which manufacturers discover the dangers of their wares.
1: That concludes The Dispatch. I'm John Marcino. Till tomorrow.